with Spirograph and Super Spirograph by Kenner. Spiromania! Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 80, Beyond the Farthest Star, and Yesteryear, from Star Trek, the animated series. Welcome to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, where we strive to have three-dimensional conversations about a two-dimensional show. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, it's time to dip into the inkwell and sketch out a lively discussion about what makes every episode of Star Trek tick. And we mean every episode of every series ever. Which brings us to this auspicious occasion, the launch of our coverage of Star Trek. Wait, uh, Ken, I'm pretty sure that you mean the animated series of Star Trek, yes? Well, I would have thought that as well, John, but uh, when this actually came on, it was just called uh, Star Trek when it premiered in 1973, which must have confused uh, more than one person. <laughs> it might have, but I think that's really interesting to note, though, because uh, we, we know it, I, I guess, sort of colloquially as uh, TAS, if you're in the know. But, um, but at the time, you know, Star Trek had, had had its run, and then a few years later, there's Star Trek back on the air. And I guess as far as anyone knew, you know, that, that would be the only Star Trek, the only way it would come back. So why not just call it Star Trek? That makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, because there's no, there's no differentiation at that point. I mean, we don't have the whole, you know, the movies and, 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 and TNG and DS9 and... None of that. Yeah, none of that's that. a yeah. V, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is a very different show as well. You know, he's oh, it's V, the one with the snakes. Oh, well, wait a minute, that's no, no, <laughs> right, right, probably something else then. So, if you are looking for it, uh, yeah, it, it is technically just Star Trek, but uh, it has sort of been relabeled as Star Trek: The Animated Series. And uh, before we uh, talk about the shows that we're going to talk about, we might want to clue in our listeners a little bit on how this is all going to go down, right? It's basically the same, except uh, different, because <laughs> just like know, the animated series, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, some of the same characters, some of the same ideas, uh, certainly some of the same trappings, but. I mean, much shorter and geared towards kids and, you know, I mean, like, there'll be lots less about the production. I mean, we can go ahead and sum up the production of all of it right now. I, hmm. So do you think do you think the look of it uh, held up, John? And, uh, no. <laughs> no. I'm sorry. I'll play, I'll play the part of me and John in that one. No, the look of it does not hold up. So, well so, we'll, so there, there's like five minutes of every show right there. Right. Already we've saved you that much time over the course of 11 episodes that's close to an hour that we just saved you you're welcome <laughs> and then the format of mission log will be a little bit different we're going to attempt to do two episodes of the animated series per podcast so 22 episodes 11 podcast episodes and uh rather than doing a full uh observations then discussion then wrap up we're going to sort of compress a little bit uh we'll do trivia at the top of the show and you know that i can't wait for that um and then we'll do the story recap then we'll do uh, a discussion and we'll we'll, we'll pick apart the lessons we learned I think rather than call it morals, meanings, and messages, we're going to call it the lessons we learn. We really are looking for that you see Timmy moment in, uh, in yes, each Yes, and, and being a show for kids, we're likely to come across them, too. Mm -hmm. I hope so. Now, all we need is a kid named Timmy. 
So we can just sit him down and say, you see, Timmy. Um, and we'll try to do the whole thing in an hour or so. Yeah, I don't hold out a lot of hope for that. But let's <laughs> get going and we'll see what happens. All right. Well, how about I kick us off with some trivia? The thing that I wanted to do here is set the stage. Trivia for the animated series in general. And um, I think these are the important points to be aware of. Uh, the show premiered in September of 1973. It ran until October of 1974. Technically, those were two seasons, uh, though season two was only six episodes long. Uh, along the way, the show actually picked up an Emmy for Outstanding Entertainment for a children's series. It was nominated twice, 1974 and 1975. Would you believe me, Ken, if I told you this is the only Emmy that Star Trek ever won in its original incarnation. This is the only Emmy. Now, they got nominated a few times, the original series, uh, but this is it. This is the only thing they ever picked up. Um, Lou Scheimer and Norm Prescott founded Filmation Studios along with director Hal Sutherland. If you were a kid in the late 60s up to the early 80s, you know their shows. You just do. Um, they were known for being able to do things fast and cheap and prolifically. Um, you know, just to name a few of my favorites, uh, the Ghostbusters, not to be confused with, you know, the Harold Ramos, Bill Murray movies, the <laughs> the other Ghostbusters, uh, Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids, uh, Flash Gordon, which was, I, I thought it was fantastic. He-Man was, I think, probably their biggest breakout hit in the early 80s. Um, now, unfortunately, the company was traded around by much larger conglomerates for years, which basically put an end to filmation in 1989. As of now... DreamWorks actually owns their back catalog, except for Star Trek. Um, throughout the series, we're going to hear a lot of our favorite actors, uh, particularly Nichelle Nichols and James Doohan, providing multiple voices on the series. We'll point those out from time to time, but uh, you can always figure those out on your own, too. Um, wait, wait, wait. You're yeah. leaving out an important one. Did I not hear um, Majel? Oh, no, you're absolutely right. Major Barrett Roddenberry, yes, who uh, we will hear uh, uh, it doing at least one other character, I believe two extra characters in one of our shows today. But yes, Major Barrett Roddenberry yes. performed multiple of the uh, female guest characters as well. Um, okay. Now, most of the time, the actors would record their lines separately, uh, notably William Shatner was doing theater, and he was on tour much of the time while they were making these shows. Uh, in fact, he writes about it in his book, Star Trek Memories. About, he had a little tape recorder with him that he could do this. Um, the very first session, though, they actually had all of the cast back together, um, and they recorded three episodes at that time at the Filmation Studios in Reseda, California. It was the first time the cast had been back together as a group since the uh, wrap of Star Trek, the original series. Now, many, many elements of the animated series show up in later Star Trek, which, of course, gets us into the whole debate of what is Star Trek canon and what is not. Um, it, it's a great discussion to have. We'll probably get to have it when we have the wrap-up of the animated series or on another supplemental. Uh, for now, we will just treat it, I, I think, the way they did in 1974. And, and to me, the little, uh, the little inner monologue that I wrote for myself, which is uh, 1974 speaking, 
hey, hey, look, there's an animated version of Star Trek on the air. Oh, didn't that show go away like four years ago? Okay, I, I guess I'll check it out since there's no big budget feature coming anytime soon. And and we'll we'll go with that, Ken. That'll be our, our mantra for uh, for this show. Um, now, here's the thing. You mentioned, Ken, uh, earlier that uh, we could probably sum this up by saying that the production value does not hold up at all. <laughs> Very well. Right. Filmation, as I said, was known for making things fast and cheap. Although, let, let me point this out. I, I'm kind of... Yeah, I've worked sort of in and around the the video and TV industry for a while, and I have kind of a, a grasp of that in my mind. I have really no grasp of animation. The whole thing is kind of a mystery to me still, even though I, I intellectually understand how it happens. Um, think about this. Start to finish, an episode of an animated show could take anywhere from three to six months to develop. And you spend about six weeks of that time on animation alone. So just handing it over to the artists and letting them animate. Um, remember when we were talking about the original series, you could shoot an episode of Star Trek in six days, um, which was even a, a budget schedule uh, for them. Um, and you think about how on an animated show, at least with filmation, um, they hired over 2,000 artists over the the life of those studios being open. Um, and they had, I think at their peak, they had something like 875 artists at one time that, uh, that they would either hire or contract out to do the animation work. So as much as we might say, wow, they really cut corners, <laughs> uh, it's also worth noting that doing anything that is animated is a huge, huge undertaking. And uh, through all the negotiation, uh, apparently it was NBC that was uh, the, their uh, animated, their Saturday morning department were really the ones who were behind this and said, you know, we should do Star Trek. And they're the ones who kind of uh, worked it out with Gene Roddenberry and took the whole idea to filmation. And that's how we end up with Star Trek, the animated series. Cartoon number one, Beyond the Farthest Star. One, the Enterprise is on a mission to chart stars. They're a long way from home, one might even say where no one has gone before. They're following the radio emissions coming from Questar M17, and then things get all haywire. The ship is drifting off course quickly, and it appears that a negative star mass is the culprit. Hypergravity, in Spock's estimation. Once in orbit, because they are that good... The crew start trying to figure out a way out of there. Near the planet, they find the source of those weird radio emissions, an absolutely gigantic ship of unknown origin. Time to check it out. Kirk, Spock, Scotty, and McCoy beam over to 300 million year old derelict. Don't worry, we can see what they're doing because they are wearing newfangled force field generating life support belts. Brought to you by Remco. The alien ship is alien. The materials were spun into place like a giant insect would do. The shapes are organic, and everything is exploded outward, perhaps even on purpose. Act 2. 
On further investigation into the heart of the alien ship, the landing party find a sealed chamber that must be the control room. It must be. There are controls in it. And it's the only room that isn't completely blown up, exposed to space. Spock, Control-Alt-Deletes or something, and soon we are faced with the 300-million-year-old message from an alien explaining that a malevolent force has taken over their ship. Rather than spread it, they decided to scuttle their own ship. This is a bit of history Kirk does not want to recreate, and when the room around them starts exploding, the landing crew are beamed back to the safety of the Enterprise, except it's not that safe. That malevolent life form that ruined the day for a whole bunch of aliens nearly half a billion years ago has beamed aboard with them, and it starts out with some evil laughing over the PA. Act 3. That evil being is now aboard the Enterprise, but there is no damage to the ship or the crew. Just to be safe, Kirk orders Scotty to be prepared with the old self-destruct. Just like in Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, he neglects to tell the rest of the crew. Things in engineering aren't going too well. Scotty is trapped under equipment, and no one has control over the ship's systems. Now all of a sudden, the ship's phasers fire on their own and blow up the remains of that old alien ship. It's really getting bad. Control of the Enterprise is lost, but Spock rigs a shield around navigation. Just then, the alien life form announces its intentions. It needs a starship to break away from the gravity of the negative star mass. The Enterprise will do nicely, thank you. And then it starts to throw a tantrum when Kirk refuses to cooperate. Kirk and Spock have a cunning plan, though. They'll use auxiliary control to make it look like they are crashing into the planet below. When the alien sees this, it freaks out and leaves the ship, landing itself on the planet while the Enterprise warps away. The alien lets out a sad cry that it is so very lonely. And did I mention that the Enterprise has warped away? Because it has. It's still charting stars. The End well, you know, John, we said that, uh, that you know, there were going to be some things that were going to be different. I will say it is awesome mm-hmm. to see that at least one tradition from the original series uh, continues in the animated series. What is that? Uh, to seek out new life and ditch it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, here's an amazingly complex, incredibly powerful, totally unknown life form. So let's just let's bottle that and we'll leave it right there. And we won't even warn anybody. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I was very clear about the ending. And if you needed me to, to reenact that, I'm so lonely. Yeah. Okay, see ya. We're charting stars. It's terrible. I mean, actually, I feel bad for that thing. If you think about it for more than the 22 minutes that this episode requires, um, mm-hmm. and less really considering we don't actually make contact with whatever it is. We don't even get a name off it. We don't even make yeah, contact right. with what it is until Act 3. Um, there's honestly a little bit of Charlie Evans or Charlie X to this. Mm. Um, I don't even want to say bad guy necessarily. I know the big sort of bug creatures that it was so malevolent that they had right. to, you know, they had to kill themselves to, to, you know, to make sure it didn't go anywhere, but we didn't really get a sense of that malevolence except that, I mean, yeah, it took over the ship and yes, it started, you know, shutting down life support, but I mean, again, we're we're carrying on the old tradition. Sometimes we ask why. Sometimes we don't. <laughs> there was, it wasn't even a moment of going, hey, what's with you, man? Because we could take you someplace if you want to, you know, just stop being a jerk. 
Well, you know, we, we had a listener write in about this episode, and, and she pointed out, uh, you remember her, Alice. Yeah. Uh, she, she pointed out that, uh, because I said, well, I, I did. I felt the same way as you. I kind of felt bad for this alien entity. And she said, you know, I, we were supposed to feel bad, but uh, he was a jerk. It, it was a jerk. Yeah. You know, it, it shows up. It doesn't even announce its intentions. It, it can talk. It can communicate to us. And just like, I'm going to the center of the galaxy. Why? Are there more of you? We could help you. Uh, but see, no. I, I didn't assume that there were more of it. I assumed that it was just the, the loneliness of, I mean, it's been 300 million years. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously, it's been 300 million years. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I, there, it doesn't really feel like you have to say anything after that. It's been 300 million years. You know, for it to for it to maybe lose a little bit of its social graces, and then here's the thing: who knows how many it was before that? And and by right, the way, right. kudos to Spock. Three hundred million years, completely alien technology. Oh, I think you can get a translation. Well, of course you can, because you're Spock. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Animated, <laughs> physical. Yeah, he's Spock. Just turn it over to him, and he'll he'll get it taken care mm-hmm. of. Yeah. Although it, it took him exactly point zero seconds to decide to use a phaser to just open the door. Yeah, what was up with this that? It's like, well, we need to get it in there. Boom. That was kind of crazy. Enforcer Spock. He's I thought back. he might have like you know pushed one of those buttons that he shot at, and yet the right, door the right. door worked perfectly. Maybe maybe he actually read something that said you know to open fire phaser because <laughs> then the door closed behind them. You know, it it did. Was, he didn't break it. He just he right. opened it, yeah. So maybe, he is that good. He really is that good. He is. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's not good, and I know we talked about what? this, but you know what's not good? Continuity of the uh, uniform. Oh goodness. Yeah. Oh dear. Sometimes oh, they fill dear. in like the so like the science thing. You know, it's it's that circle with the other sort of circle and the you know the circular thing. It's not uh-huh. it's not the spirally one like engineering, and it's not the starburst one like. Uh, Whatever it's that sort is. of like the CBSI logo. It's a almost. bit like that, yeah. And and yeah, sometimes yeah. it's like somebody punched the CBSI because the middle of it's black. <laughs> right. And other times it's not, you know. And then sometimes it's kind of pointing a little sideways. And sometimes, and sometimes it's, it's huge. Taking over sometimes half the chest. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of funny to me because you'd think that of all the things to be like on a character sheet to draw consistently, you'd just be like, logo goes here. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. And, and not to the side, but yeah, right. that that kind of cracked me up. Actually. If it gets to the navel, you've gone too far, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> Speaking of things that changed, yeah, because uh, yeah, that that just uh, d- did the smooth jazz of the Star Trek theme just get smoother and jazzier for the opening? I think it did. Um, I, I'll say right here that I, I kind of like the music on the animated series. Get back to me. After 22 episodes, and I may have a different uh, opinion on this, but I, I don't know. There's something about this music that just puts me back into the living room in front of the family's TV on a Saturday morning. Um, well, well, I guess that's what it is, right? I mean, I, it must be. Well, you, but, but you, the replay, the action music, I don't know. Yeah. I, well, it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this action music turns up in a bunch of other shows as well. Just a lot, yes. Yeah, okay. Because it seems yeah. to me... There was different music in the Batman filmation, but I remember them repeating mm. that over and over again. And it seems like some of this music might have turned up in that. I'm not sure. Right. Yeah. Right. The Batman that was that was my filmation show, by the way. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. They, they did they did Batman. Yeah. Um, Lou Scheimer uh, said in an interview that basically, if it flew or had a cape 
or was red or white or blue, they animated it <laughs> at some point. They yeah. did it. And know? they all had that so, same run. They all had that same. They know, did. Like, yeah. Even if you're right. just going like to right. the next room, you know, suddenly you're, you're one shoulder ahead, arms. Yeah. It was, it was uh-huh. Yeah. Right, right. Well, it, here's some things, though, that I like about this episode. And speaking of the animation and the style, um, there's something about this that does impart a sense of scale, which I thought was cool. For the first time, um, well, you know, we saw a little bit of it in the Corbomite Maneuver and a little bit of it with uh, the Doomsday Machine. But you have a huge alien ship, mm-hmm. and it is very alien, you know, the the, uh, the the visage of this 300 million year old alien on the view screen doesn't look like anything that Star Trek has been able to do before. Um, the well, crew you members the, are... You've got ex- the, the three-armed guy on the bridge of the Enterprise as well. Right, right. We haven't technically met yet, but he's just right there in front of everybody. Like, hey, yep. I'm the three-armed guy. Um, <laughs> so so I really like that. You know, the, this is the, the cool thing about animation is you can change things up a bit and not just mistakenly change uniforms. You can actually change the scale and scope of the way the show looks. There's no way that you could build this semi-organic-looking uh, vessel on that scale when you're doing the old TV show. So right. that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I really like that. Um, by the way, a couple of uh, nits to pick here. Um, we talk about how the alien ship is 300 million years old. and um, Well, no, it's been there for 300 million years. <laughs> it's been there for 300 million years, yeah. And uh, and I think there's a one point early on where Kirk says just 100 million years uh, before life even began on Earth, and I wanted to say, no, no, it, it's actually uh, life emerged on Earth about three billion years ago, uh, yeah. though it would have been very boring until about one billion years ago when we got multicellular organisms. So maybe maybe he's thinking about the Cambrian explosion. I, I'll give him that. Maybe he was like, you know, what was cool was dinosaurs. So, um, <laughs> or pre-dinosaurs, you, you get, you know, troglodytes. Yeah. But, I'm just assuming. Yeah, yeah, 22 minutes. Here's the thing. Yeah. Were they were they filling 48 minutes? Then that would have been a two-minute lecture from Spock. Oh, there you go. Right, right there. But, you right. know, maybe Spock yeah. looked at his watch and said, yeah, we really don't have time for this now. So <laughs> you're right. 100 million years. Crazy, huh? Yeah, let's go yeah. on. <laughs> but, but Spock does have a good little lesson, though. Uh, speaking of having that little break in order for Spock to tell us something important, mm-hmm. he he describes the psychological symptom of latent primal superstition, yeah. i.e. feeling like you're being watched. Yeah. This is a good lesson, kids. Um, the, the fear of primitive people confronting something unknown. Um, I love that. I, I love that. Okay. <laughs> well, he points out. I mean, here's the thing, Ken. He's not. Wrong. Is, I mean, here's the thing, though. He's wrong this time, isn't he? I, I understand the, the, what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because yeah. you know the green mist that becomes you know Redjack or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> oh, there you go. See, yeah, it's Redjack. Yeah. It's yeah. well, it's Except not really. Kill women. Yeah. yeah. Well, give it time. That we know of. Yeah, you don't. You can't really be certain. Yeah. Uh, okay. Wait. Are we going to get to serious topics, or are we going to talk about dumb stuff? Uh, well, I think we, we're still we, talking we about dumb. Like, well, okay. Yeah. What's up with uh, Kyle's mustache? 
Oh, okay. What's up with Kyle's mustache? I'll tell you what's up with Kyle's mustache. So, like I said, we have a lot of actors doing a lot of the same, or or a lot of different voices, rather. And that is so very clearly James Doohan doing the voice of Kyle. You see, I thought it was an okay okay Kyle imitation, though. Because that actor... That actor was weird sounding. He always, I never could like pin his accent down. Well, really? Are you confusing weird and British? Uh, because I'm, I'm confusing him and weird. I mean, you, you okay. can say he was British if you want to, but it wasn't, it wasn't straight up. It's almost like he was struggling to be understood. If he was British, then he was struggling to be understood or something because his accent always struck me as odd. I never could quite figure out what Kyle or Call was supposed to be. Call. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, the the James Doohan interpretation of Lieutenant Call was definitely English, definitely an Englishman, right. but they had to make him look very different from Scotty. Fortunately, through the magic of animation, uh, we've restored dignity to Scotty's hair so we can tell who Scotty is yeah. and had to make Kyle look very different. So you give him the big mustache, yeah. make him a big guy, give him big hair, and then you know this is definitely not Scotty. Yeah. Okay. So there, there, there's the the magic of that. All right. See, that is a goofy thing. <laughs> Let's go to our lesson. All right, fine. Well, it's not just the lessons. I mean, there. I, I think it, you're giving short shrift to this bad guy. I mean, there's something kind of interesting about him, right? Or, or mm-hmm. foil, or whatever you want to say he is. Um, mm-hmm. Magnetic organism. Who yeah. can use a spaceship the way you know the the brain uses a body, right? Well, a form well, of primal what, energy. Says. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Well, a minute ago you were giving him credit for like you know saying, "Ah, you people are being silly." There's nothing watching you, even though there actually was. Yeah. Um, a form <laughs> right. of primal energy, and it can utilize the electronic control systems of a starship, like the mind of a man uses the neural control systems of the human body. It has become the Enterprise, and we are only life support organisms in its body. Um, yeah, a couple of years later, and by a couple, I mean 15, maybe, um, this might've been likened to like, a like a, like a, like an intelligent computer virus or a rogue AI or something like that. Mm. And, and I find that kind of interesting, um, how it would have lived in a rock, I don't know, or in a dead computer system. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they really explored a lot. I mean, what's weird is you got more exposition in this 22 minute show than you did in a lot of 48-minute shows. Like, like, how is it that this, this ship has any sort of power left at all? It's been out here in the cold desolation of space for 300 million years. And then they get aboard the ship, and it turns out that every part of the ship is, is a receptor for any kind of energy that it might come across. Right. That's, that's, like, that's kind of like mind-blowing, and they just like go through it really quickly because, you know, they got 22 yeah. minutes. It's <laughs> very cool. Right? It, it, it's really kind of, yeah, kind of neat. So I guess that's how, you know, the thing survived. How it ends up surviving in the rock, I don't know. But, yeah. oh well. Well, I, that, that, they start to confuse their terms at, at, a, at a point there. I mean, it, we could do a whole scientific episode about, this episode because you've got okay negative star mass which just makes no sense whatsoever that's why you just started calling it a planet they're they're orbiting a planet all right because that's the only way to make sense out of what they're doing and then the the evil entity the malevolent entity is magnetic um but it is affected by the gravity of the negative star mass which Stars already exhibit gravity, so if it's negative, wouldn't it repel it? I don't know, Ken. I don't know. 
we we need a physicist to tell us that this is just complete nonsense. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I, kudos to them trying to give it a a uh, at least a where and a what um, and make it make some sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it it ultimately did not. I took exception with the idea of saying that this is like the mind uh, how a, the mind of a man controls the neural systems of the body. Um, and I would just say time out. It's the other way around that the neural systems of the body are what generate the mind. But I don't want to have a metaphysical argument with Spock. Yeah. Because that's yeah. what you'd be doing at that point. That's what I'd be doing, and I know it just get ugly at that point. No, I mean it's. I mean it's. I mean having been, you know, the operating system for an entire planet, he actually seems to me somebody who could, you know, address this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right. 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 I, I like your description much more, though. That this is sort of like a virus in a computer. Well, I, I like that description a lot, but we didn't have that kind of description in 1973. Right. You know. Yeah. No, that's why I'm saying years later. I think that might be something that we might have, uh, that we might have hooked into. All right. Mm-hmm. So now you want to hit some lessons? Let's do it. All right. Uh, ancient super strong aliens come across something so malevolent that they felt that the only thing that they could do uh, was destroy themselves and their ship. Um, in the end, the Enterprise proves that that was not necessary. Uh, sadly, though, they did have to pretend that they were going to do that. So, <laughs> right. so the yeah. lesson for kids, you know, to be taken so far. Remember, kids, you don't have to kill yourself to get what you want. Uh, you may have to pretend that you're going to kill yourself. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. oh, my God. And that's not, okay. real, that's not yeah. really a good lesson. I don't understand. I no. don't understand why it uh, if they were going to crash into the planet anyway, the thing's got no physical body. Why did it jump out of the ship and onto the planet? Right. Why would it care? Yeah. Yeah. Unless maybe it wouldn't be able to, you know, sort of put itself, you know, back together in the planet the way it would want to be. So I well, and if it could jump from the ship to the planet, then it, it seems like it could jump back to the Enterprise. Unless the Enterprise would it goes to warp, it, like it was just too short of a time well, for no. the energy fields to just go. Oh wait, oh no, they leave him without me. Oh, that's, See, that, that's the weird thing, though. It couldn't just jump to the Enterprise. It had to be teleported aboard. Yeah, there, well, but there, it did just jump to the planet, though. It did just jump to the planet. That's true. Yeah. So maybe, yeah. the, well, the planet has no defenses. Maybe that's it. And the Enterprise maybe. actually did. You know, they got that hull. Yeah, <laughs> maybe double hull. They don't have even. negative star mass. No, that's true. That's true. They got they got positive star mass all the way. And of course, you already did the one about you know the physiological symptom of latent primal superstition. The whole thing about don't be paranoid mm. if you're if you're frightened it doesn't mean there's actually something there to get you even though in this case it actually does mean there's something there to get you but whatever spock it's a good it's it's, it's a pretty good it's a pretty good you know lesson i guess for the for, yeah, for yeah. most so, of the t- hey, for most of the time for all those times that you're not actually being watched that's yeah. a really good lesson because yeah. it means hey this is just a, a vestigial uh, evolutionary trait that you can sort of choose to pay attention to or not but when you're being watched yeah you're being watched yeah sadly, um, sadly this uh, time yeah yeah maybe a message here about not throwing a tantrum uh when you don't get what you want like i thought it was very interesting we introduced the idea of the bridge defense system and the uh, malevolent energy force takes that over and it just starts shooting at the crew <laughs> yeah it seems like a bad thing to have a suspended weapons array in your control room don't do that well, first of all, that, that's another lesson. Just don't do that. Well, imagine if they had had that uh, during "And the Children Shall Lead." 
just zap those kids. Hey, you know what's really <laughs> exciting, by the way? We can actually, we're now in a series where we can reference another series. Oh, wow. Yes. Gosh, you're right. <laughs> Without yeah. going, oh, we don't want to cross the t-. Yeah, you know what? Mm. Now we can the, look backwards. Yes, nice. we can We can always look back. Yes, we can always look back. The, the throwing the tantrum thing. And not doing See, that to get what you only, want. If only it had communicated. If only it had talked instead of saying, like, I'm taking this to the heart of the galaxy. If only it had said, look, I've been really lonely for nearly a half a billion years. Yeah. I just need a ride. That's it. Yes. And honestly, I mean, I think you're kidding, but yes. I mean, don't yeah. don't just don't just throw a tantrum. I mean, if we're assuming yeah. that this whole thing is geared towards kids, then well, I mean, there are plenty of adults that need to hear that too. Let's be honest. But. Sure, but Kirk could have said, "Hey, take this shuttlecraft." Well, except of course we know that it can actually reproduce by mitosis, according to Spock. So oh, right, right. Even if you give it just a shuttlecraft, then all of a sudden you get a whole fleet of these things. Apparently, then let's give it two shuttlecraft, and then they have somebody to talk to. <laughs> as they're going yeah. to the center of the galaxy. Or just and look- by the way, if the Enterprise is charting the farthest star, going beyond the farthest star, um, there aren't any other stars to chart. They need to turn around. <laughs> they're done. So they're done. Yeah. They're done. Speaking of which, yeah. uh, I'm guessing we are as well with, uh, with beyond the farthest star. Yes? I think we are. <laughs> I think we are. Stay tuned. There's more Mission Log ahead, right after this. Today's episode is brought to you by Transporter. No, not that Transporter. The Transporter is a storage device that lets you create your own private cloud for syncing, accessing, protecting, and sharing your data. Now, while you can do that with something like Dropbox, if you have anything like a serious amount of data you want to store or share, you can't do it as safely nor as economically. With Transporter, you don't have to worry about who has access to your digital life because you make that decision. Your stuff's not stored in an unseen server farm who knows where. It's stored on a physical device that you control. You share with whom you want to share whether they have a Transporter or not. As for cost, 100 gigabytes of storage on Dropbox will run you 99 bucks a year. If you already have a drive you want to use, you can pay 99 bucks one time for the transporter sync and get the same functionality without the recurring costs or security concerns. 500 gigabytes on Dropbox will cost you close to $500 a year. You can do that, or you can spend $249 one time for a one terabyte transporter. That's more storage, more security, and a one-time cost that's less than half of what you pay on Dropbox for less. The benefits of a transporter are big. Learn more about them for yourself at filetransporterstore.com. Check out the models and offers they have available. Then, when you decide to buy, buy at a discount. Offer code MLOG, M-L-O-G, will get you 10% off on your order. All caps, no spaces, M-L-O-G. M-L-O-G will get you 10% off when you buy your transporter at filetransporterstore.com. They come with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you've really got nothing to lose. Beam yourself to filetransporterstore.com to find out more. Transporter, storage and sharing made simple and secure. Brought to you by Connected Data, and we do thank them for sponsoring this week's Mission Log. The Star Trek USS Enterprise gift set with command chair, console, three telescreen cards, and five Star Trek action figures. Please, Mr. Spock or any Star Trek figure into the transporter room. Spin the control knob and press the button. Mr. Spock disappears. 
Pretend he's left the deck of the Enterprise for outer space adventure. You can capture the Klingon and bring him back to the Enterprise. Star Trek USS Enterprise gift set. Star Trek action figures also sold separately by Mego. And now, back to Mission Log. Cartoon number two. Yesteryear. Act one. Wow, it's the Guardian of Forever. Kirk and Spock come back through it, having just assisted a team of historians investigating Federation history. There's just one problem. No one has seen nor heard of Spock. Not McCoy, not Kirk's first officer, an Andorian dude named Who Cares? Thalen, if your answer to that question is I care. Only Kirk and Spock know who Spock is. Kirk comes to the conclusion that something they did in the time vortex altered history as he and Spock know it, except he really didn't do anything. And yet something has changed. The crew does a bit of research. Sarek, Spock's father, has been the ambassador to a number of planets over a number of years. He's apparently been kind of a loner since he and his wife divorced, which was right after their son Spock died when he was seven. Back at the Guardian of Forever, the historians, members of the Enterprise crew, and Spock are still trying to figure out what happened. The only thing that was happening was the historians were monitoring recent Vulcan history from around the time Spock would have died. Turns out that happened during a maturity test, and this jogs Spock's memory. That was when his cousin, Selick, saved his life. Hey, says Kirk, are you thinking what I'm thinking? That you saved your own life when you were seven? They're on the same page. Only Spock couldn't do it this time because he was even further back in history when his own history needed him or something. The Guardian of Forever says he can send Spock back to fix things as long as he doesn't screw anything else up. Act 2. Back goes Spock, just in time to see his seven-year-old self ridiculed for being impure. Earther, they taunt, because his father married an earthling and brought shame on his house. Behind older Spock... Sarek, his father, apologizes that he saw the shameful display of emotion from his son. Spock says they don't need to talk about it, what with their being family and all. He introduces himself as Cousin Selek and is soon invited to stay. At Casa de Sarek, we see the father and seven-year-old have the Vulcan equivalent of a heart-to-heart. You show up a lot of emotion, son. You'll have to decide soon whether to live as a human or a Vulcan. I mean, come on, you are almost seven... Meanwhile, Spock's mother chats with Cousin Selick about what a tough row Spock has before him. She's especially worried since he goes through the maturity test next month. Oops, older Spock thought it was tomorrow. After a rather rough talk between father and son, young Spock heads out into the desert to sort of toughen himself up for the Kaswan, the maturity test. His pet, Aichaya, wants to come with him. Young Spock says no, but Aichaya follows anyway, as does older Spock. In the desert, a monster attacks young Spock. Aichaya, the pet, leaps to Spock's defense. Meanwhile, older Spock is able to defeat the attacking beast. They head back home. And on the way, they talk over what it means to be Vulcan. You have emotions, but you control them. They also talk over the difficulty of being part human, something older Spock explains that they have in common. Suddenly, Aichaya falls over. Turns out the pet was injured in the fight with the monster. Older Spock tells younger Spock that Aichaya is dying. Act 3. They have to find a healer for Aichaya. They cannot move the huge beast, and older Spock challenges younger Spock as to the proper course of action. The young one says he can bring a healer there. Older Spock offers, but Spock the younger says he must do it himself. 
at the healer's house, young Spock tells about Chaya's predicament. The healer says he's heard that Spock is a practical joker, but Spock convinces him this danger is real. The healer and young Spock get back to Aichaya. Young Spock expresses emotion at the possibility of losing Aichaya, but old Spock points out that death comes to all and that a Vulcan deals with it, man. Bad news from the healer. It's been too long. He can save Aichaya, condemning him to a life of pain, or he can release him from life, but he cannot heal him. Young Spock pauses, then says, Release him. It is fitting he dies with peace and dignity. Back home, young Spock apologizes to his parents for making them worry, but good news, he's chosen the Vulcan path. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go to a Vulcan neck bench some kids in school, just as cousin Selick taught me. Selick, too, says his goodbyes. Oh, and Sarek, try to be a little more understanding with your kid, huh? Then it's back through the Guardian of Forever, and back to the Enterprise, where everybody knows First Officer Spock. In fact, there it is. The usual ribbing between Spock and Dr. McCoy. The end. Hey, I didn't mention that Beyond the Farthest Star was written by Sam Peebles, who wrote uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before, the second pilot of the original Star Trek series. Yesteryear was written by DC Fontana, of course, who wrote and contributed to and story edited many of the original series. So, uh, so far, two for two here, we've got a pedigree going back to the original series. I think that's kind of a cool thing uh, going on here. Yeah. Um, And there's an interesting note that there was an early plan to put child versions of the Enterprise crew basically throughout this series throughout the animated series um this is the first time that we see a crew member in child form on the animated series and uh, to make a much longer more complicated story uh, a bit shorter this is something that gene roddenberry nixed and uh, he definitely got to exercise a bit more control over this so uh, as these ideas were flying around uh gene said no 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 no, no. we're going to treat this a little more adult um but hmm. we get to see child spock here hmm. yeah it's interesting mm-hmm. it might have made it uh, made it it might have made it more accessible to kids could be i mean it, it's the interesting thing about this whole series is that filmation had an audience of essentially eight to ten year olds right and star trek had an audience of 20 something plus right and they were trying to build a show for the whole family and then you there you have this like give and take of what are the moments that work for the kids what are the moments that work for the adults um <laughs> it's, amazing we'll, it's amazing that you're saying that though because i mean the only thing that might work for kids in this is hey it's mm-hmm. Spock when he was a kid that's kind of neat yeah. yeah and now he's gonna have to kill his dog yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. just, wow. Uh, going back really quickly to something that you said in the last episode, um, yeah. uh, things that you couldn't do on yeah. uh, on uh, on the live show that you can do in the animated series. Do right. you remember the one thing that we had that was close to a dog? It was it was <laughs> yeah. a dog in a unicorn costume. Unicorn costume. Yeah. Right. And then and then anytime you had a a, a beast, with the exception of the horda. Anytime you had a monster, it was obviously a guy in like a foam rubber suit. Right. Right. So the thing, and I can't, I, I, they, they said what it was. I can't remember. But the, the monster that attacked um, Aichaya and Aichaya as well. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't pull yeah. either of those off in the live. Uh, today, with the computer animation that we have, um, you could do that. 
but well, otherwise uh otherwise yeah you kind of need you need animation to make this work yeah yeah uh, um you know we mentioned the pet Selat in journey to babel uh as, as a big teddy bear with six inch claws and now we get to see that big teddy bear with six inch claws and what's cool is that this episode yesteryear has so many plot and character details that will be referenced later in versions of Star Trek. Um, again, we acknowledge that. We, we won't get into all of them here since we're trying not to necessarily jump the timeline forward. Um, but hey, Ken, I'm here to tell you this will have big payoff in about 12 years. You'll totally appreciate it, okay? <laughs> this episode pet, in particular, you're saying? Well, the, yeah, and the pet Salot and uh, going back to cities on Vulcan. So this episode lays some groundwork um, that we've had little threads of in TOS, like I said, mentioning the pet Selat, uh, getting to meet Sarek, stuff like that. And then we'll get to come back to some of these ideas later on. I think that's really cool. And that speaks to the idea of uh, the animated series being canon or at least being canon-ish in the greater picture of Star Trek. What do you suppose it was that made Sarek important enough that they got Mark Leonard to do the voice, but they didn't get um, whoever? Oh, uh, <laughs> Jane Wyatt to be uh, Amanda Grayson? Yeah. yeah. Um, by the way, uh, Amanda's last name is Grayson. That was something introduced here. Is in that new? Yeah, that's okay. new. Okay. Cause, we cause only knew her as Amanda. I, didn't, I, I know that I've always known her as Amanda Grayson, but I couldn't tell you where I picked it up. Yeah. So I didn't realize this was the first time we had heard that. Kind of cool, huh? Yeah. Um, Mark Leonard had a good relationship with the show already, and they thought that they weren't going to get him. And actually, James Dewan had been tapped to play Sarek. Oh, my goodness. But it was goodness. kind of a last-minute thing. Yes. Wow. <laughs> kind of a last-minute thing that they got Mark Leonard, and DC Fontana has said, wow, that really made it. You know, because it's so distinctive that it is him. Yeah. That is Major Roddenberry doing the voice of Amanda. And um, doing the voice of one of the historians. Not the bird yes. one. Not the bird no, one. No, not, not the bird. Yeah. <laughs> Another little cameo in this. Um, uh-huh. um, ancient Lex Luthor plays the healer. Wow. Boy, I'm so glad you picked up on that. Yeah, it was crazy, yeah. right? Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm not sure if that was the Gene um, Hackman ancient Lex Luthor or the Kevin Spacey <laughs> ancient Lex Luthor, but... Uh, yeah. For people who haven't watched the cartoon, why are you listening? Uh, for people who haven't watched the cartoon, he's like an old bald guy with with like the purple and green that like Lex Luthor used to wear in the comic books, you know, back in yeah. the day before he became sort of a, a bespoke gentleman, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, Vulcans, by the way, jerks, jerks to a man. Um, yeah. So yeah. so here's the thing: Spock shows up in the middle of the night at the healer's place, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and the healer says, oh. You have a reputation for being a practical joker. And Spock says, that was one time two years ago. Okay, that means he was five. Now, I don't know how many five-year-olds you've hung out with, but a five-year-old telling a joke is a bit like purgatory. Yeah. It just never stops, you know? And so I can't imagine that he was really a, a great practical joker, and I can't imagine it was a good practical joke. But here's the thing. One time, when he was five, he made a practical joke, and he's still hearing about it. <laughs> right. And he's right. seven. Vulcans are just... And, and, and then he ends up choosing that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, cool, I guess. But, you know, kind of crazy. Yeah, because Sarek's all like, you know, Vulcans are logical and we're smart and we're, you know, except we're really cranky neighbors. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know? <laughs> and we, and we don't let you live it down. Yeah, we don't forget. <laughs> no matter. We do yeah, not we don't forget. forget. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is. Um, I came away from this thinking that we have a, a pretty heavy existential problem brought about, again, by time travel. That uh, uh, Phelan, yeah, Phelan is just like... Uh, Oh, I might be wiped out of existence, but hey, Spock, you got a family. I understand. You go right ahead. See, I didn't get the I didn't get the feeling that Thalen was thinking he was going to be wiped out of existence. It's just he was not going to be on the Enterprise anymore. He said the whole thing about you know feeling weird about being replaced. Maybe he was the one who was killed when he was seven by a desert monster. We don't know that. We're well, an no. ice planet monster since he's Andorian. No, we don't know that. But yeah, no. here's the, there's a bigger problem though. If you're getting stuck on that, then, mm-hmm. you know, you're one of those people who can't see the forest for the trees, I think, <laughs> in this episode. So let me uh, get this straight. Yeah. Uh, so Spock is seven. Yeah. And he's been chided by his dad. Right. And so he goes out into the desert. And luckily his cousin who is actually older Spock, was there to save him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then in another play of that time, I mean, this is like the Schrodinger thing where, you know, because they're observing it, then, you know, <laughs> you have all the <laughs> possibilities because, because Spock lived. Okay, we know Spock lived, but Spock saved himself. Okay, right. so then right. when Spock was not there to save himself, it's like a little George Bailey thing. When Spock yeah. was not there to save himself, then young Spock died but Spock was still alive because he was out of the timeline, so he came back, and then he's like, hey, wait a minute, I was supposed to go back in time and save me, but I didn't. Yeah. Well, if all points in time exist, you know, simultaneously, then should he not always be there saving himself? Yeah. All right. No, that that hurt my head, too. Yeah. Because you, you have to have a first Spock in order to grow up and go through the Guardian and go back and save his younger self, but his younger self would have died because there wasn't an older Spock. To, uh, see, my head's hurting. I'm not, head I'm not sure this show is for eight-year-olds. I'm really not sure this show is for eight-year-olds. No. I'm pretty sure this, this show is for college kids. Hey, but, you know, you know apparently, if we, if we were in the business of jumping the timeline, we, we would see where Spock just thinks it's perfectly okay to go back and help his younger self. Yeah. Because that happens again. In case you didn't know that. Um, yeah. Spock's totally fine. It kind of happens again. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's different. You can't talk about it's that. Different. We have 30 I years know. before we're allowed to talk about that, or 40 years. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah. But yeah, no, that that whole time travel thing really... Um, yeah, like I said, Thalen is. Got, it's I, fun. I, I just I really feel bad for Thalen. I think Thalen might have problems in the other alternate prime universe. He's not going to know though. Timeline. He's not going to know. That's the thing. Well, now he does because here's this new guy, Spock, saying, "No, I'm supposed to be here." Sorry, he only, but he only knows right then. I mean, it, it, they get back onto the Enterprise, and and the, the Enterprise doesn't even realize that there was anything that had happened. In fact, he yeah. makes the joke. And by the way, I was joking earlier uh, in the last episode about how you know great it is that we're just going to do what we've always done, where we you know find new life and leave it. Um, <laughs> All right. It actually was kind of neat to hear the 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 banter between uh, Spock and McCoy. I mean, not the mm-hmm. best they've ever done, but still there, which mm-hmm. was interesting. I figured that was one of the things that would end up on the uh, that would end up being tossed in the animated yeah, series. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's kind of cool. Yeah. 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 Um, by the way, are, are are there guardians just everywhere? 
Because I, I wasn't sure if this specifically was the Guardian of Forever that we first met in City on the Edge of Forever. And if it was, how do they convince Kirk to go back there? I, hey, Captain, we have this mission and we need to go back to this place. And it's the planet where we had to kill your girlfriend. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry. Also, if yeah. it was, then then the Guardian's a little sick. Yeah, the Guardian is not feeling well. Now, okay, but, but that's another thing. Okay, so once again, that's James Doohan's voice doing really? the Guardian. They originally tried to get, uh, and I apologize uh, that I don't remember the original actor's name, but they tried to get the original actor's name, who we, we mentioned before um, in previous Mission Log episodes, but uh, he was not available, so they got James Doohan again to uh to do that role oh i'm sorry it's bart larue because uh he was sitting on the edge of forever and then in uh gamesters of triskelion was he um was doing fade extra for all the voices he did both in the original series and in the animated series well you know here's the thing they talk about budget 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 all the time when it came to the animated series and you have to think that he was getting a salary to go into the studio and do voice bummer and and if Scotty had three lines, right. okay, you know, you, you figure, okay, Kirk's got fifty lines, right? Okay. Scotty's got three, but then here are these other characters who got five here, ten there. To you know, here's a day's work. Take take your check. Thank you for your hard work. Yeah, you right. That seems like a yeah. drag. That seems like yeah. a little bit of. A, I mean, especially if, as you revealed to me a few weeks ago, that you know, if you can get a story credit for going. Uh, <laughs> right, Fox yeah. subs his toe. Uh, everybody has to help him. I mean, right. <laughs> so that's a story and, and credit. Here's your story credit. Yeah, yeah. But then, yeah. Uh, but doing doing like nine voices. Like here's yeah. your ten dollars. Don't spend it all in one place. Hopefully, um, in the forty plus years, we we've changed the way that that works in the voice acting world. I would imagine you know? so. Yeah, well, like yeah. like like we pay our computer top dollar. Um, <laughs> and that's how that works. Um, yep. I will say, so some interesting exploration of Spock's character in this. Uh, they really did not shy away from the source of his daddy issues in this episode. Oh, no. uh, no. Sarek, or Sarek, excuse me, lays out how tough it's going to be. The maturity test, the Kaswan, mm-hmm. um, yeah. no food or water, you're out in the desert for 10 days, and listen, you're like, you're seven. So if you fail the first time, it's not a big deal, except that you're my son. Uh, people, you know, because you're half human, will make fun of you forever. They will call you a coward. So do me a favor. Don't fail. And Spock says, well, what if I do fail? And Sarek says, oh, you don't need to ask me that because here's the thing. You're not gonna. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah. Think that, I don't think there's a lesson there. Um, I don't, it's, it's, it's really, it, this is a, this is an amazingly mature episode. Yeah, or, or this is this is not an episode for eight year olds, unless unless the assumption is eight year olds aren't going to know. They're not. They're not going to. They're not going to know. They're just, they're going to be happy to see. Oh, look, there's a big like dog kind of thing, and it's going to fight that sort of lizard kind of griffin <laughs> thing. <laughs> They'll be fine. This is all thanks to DC Fontana. Her sure. favorite character was yeah. Her favorite character was Spock. She saw this as an opportunity to explore his character, and it, yeah, you said it. it. It nails that daddy issues relationship that yeah. we've talked about before, and, and I love it. It's great. The only thing that I think is a little strange is that 
Spock, uh, adult Spock actually starts and finishes pretty together. And in Journey to Babel, he, like I said, he's being this passive-aggressive Spock. And in this one, he's just like, oh, no, I know what to do. It's cool. I can handle my dad. But you learn the root of what caused these issues later. So Spock wow. himself, I feel like, is a little more together, even if we, we get the root of, uh, of those issues. It may be that whole thing, though, of like, there are certain situations where I will, you know, to this day, freak out. But if I've got somebody to watch out for, I can mm-hmm. ho- I can hold it together to make sure that the other person doesn't freak out, right? Oh yeah, see what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. And so Spock, yeah. you know, Spock is is no match for Sarek ever, ever, right? Unless there is a young Spock to protect. I mean, he may be able right. to keep it more together because he actually sees a chance to maybe do something a little bit more for himself. Or, or for that kid. Now, this, of course, you know, raises a whole thing again about, you know, timelines and what have you. So he tells Sarek, hey, be a little bit more understanding with this, Spock, will you? With your kid. And Sarek mm-hmm. says, eh, you're a weirdo, but all right, you know, because you saved my kid. So I'll be a little bit nicer to him. So then when <laughs> Spock comes through, like, you know, the, the, the guardian for, forever again, does he suddenly have all these memories of the times, you know, that he and Sarek sat and cried together? <laughs> is this going to affect him or is this going to affect yet another timeline Spock? And and will he be played by that kid from Heroes? And have I jumped the timeline uh, too far? It's amazing right. as much. as So so last episode, not nearly as much to uh, sort of, you know, play with your mind grapes, if you will. Mm-hmm. And yet three or four different lessons. I'm picking up maybe one here. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. What about you? What about that? Well, um, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a, a lesson, but I, I think the the takeaway from this, the 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 emotional impact that this has resonance on the viewer is all about the death of the Selat. Yeah, and or, and or how, dealing with the death of the Selat. Yeah, yeah. How, how to handle that? And, and I thought that was so powerful for this episode. Yeah. And maybe, a Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. And, and maybe about I mean, because it's interesting. The healer lays it out point blank, and, and 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 there are a lot of people who I don't think would be able. There are a lot of grown ups who can't make this decision, mm-hmm. um, or don't make it with the same sort of uh, grace. And and you know, I don't want to. I don't even want to think about having to make that decision myself. I mean, basically, mm-hmm. what they're talking about to a large extent is yeah, keeping somebody on life support. Yeah, in a way. I mean, he says, "Look, yeah, I, I can save your dog." But mm. your dog is going to be in pain forever, or yeah. you know we can just we can we can say that it was good and it was it was you know <laughs> let him go at that point. Yeah, uh, and I don't I can't imagine a lot of parents that they actually been watching would have been okay with that being the central right. message right. of the Saturday morning cartoon. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's but it is sort of a very grown up examination of of a very grown up idea. Um, you know, for an eight-year-old. Well, it, it was Gene Roddenberry who kind of went to bat for DC and said, look, th- this is the story we want to tell, and we will do it intelligently, trust DC. And she did. And they never got any negative blowback, according to her. There, there, there weren't, you know, outraged letters or anything. Um, but, yeah, I, I was... I've seen this episode before a few times and uh, I was kind of shocked again 
yeah. watching it and prep for the show at how that scene goes down because they're discussing euthanasia yeah. and they're discussing something which is so emotional for a child, the loss of a pet. I, it, it really is heartbreaking stuff. And uh, it, this is the thread that runs throughout um, in uh, in young Spock's discussion with Sarek saying, you have to decide how you will handle your life. What is the philosophy by which you will live? Um, and by saying that, will you let your emotion, your emotions run away with you, or are you going to be able to face things like an adult? Um, there's definitely something to be said that the Vulcans take it too far yeah. in some respects. Um, but but the heart of it to say that, that this is this is a moment of growing up. This is a moment of becoming an adult. Uh, I think is one of the many things that makes this episode stand out incredibly well. Um, And I'll also say that the Vulcans really need to learn some new rituals that aren't all about uh, threat of death and violence. Well, I thought it was actually interesting to hear him explain that, though. I mean, he said Mm -hmm. that the the reason they do that is because, I mean, you know, they could have ended up like the Talosians is pretty much what he was saying. He said, you know, we we kind of felt like we had to keep some of the, you know, a little bit of the kick butt. Um, because otherwise we might just become, you know, soft and 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 worthless uh, yeah. if we turned only to logic, which we seen, which we saw a couple of times, right? I mean, that was a right. That was the Telosians. That was the gamesters of Triskelion. Um, I mean that 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 was always that was always a that was a theme that wasn't constant in Star Trek, but it was uh, in the uh, original series rather. Right. But it was one that we saw from time to time. So to explain, you know, eh, sometimes you know the reason the Vulcans are such hard behinds is because you know <laughs> they they don't want to they don't want to be soft and 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 squishy like uh like those big-headed freaks at Delosians or something <laughs> well ken uh two episodes of the animated series down and i have to say it, it's kind of interesting I, I i didn't know fully what to expect i think a lot of our listeners didn't know fully what to expect but it feels like star trek just a little different uh it's kind of wild it, it's it's sort of like that uh, it, you mentioned that uh, you have a friend who didn't want to watch all of Star Trek because he always wanted to know that there was something else out there for him to watch. Yeah, I feel like this is almost it. it, it it's the missing piece of Star Trek for a lot of fans. Um, of course, you can tell us what you think. Uh, you can contact us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. In all three places, the handle is Mission Log Pod. You can call us at three two three five two two five six four. One. You can email us the old-fashioned way, missionlog at roddenberry.com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Next week, one of our planets is missing and the Lorelei signal. Music for Mission Log provided by Big Gargan Trio. Find their self-titled album on iTunes. Additional music provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Look for John and Ken Mission Log Flippy Flyers in specially marked boxes of Star Trek, the animated serial, Collect All Nine. And transmission. <laughs>